a joy to be with you all. I'm going to share with you from uh, uh, the book of Hebrews, but first I, I want you to know a little bit about, uh, I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you uh, might want to, uh, or maybe the Spirit of God has been moving in your heart in some way, and you'd like to share with Jewish people, but don't know how. Well, have we got a program for you. This summer, we have uh, a, a, a gathering of people from all over the United States, Christians, Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and we are going to the second Holy Land, Brooklyn, as, as, as well as Manhattan. And we are going to be sharing the gospel with Jewish people in Brooklyn, uh, in, in the Orthodox neighborhoods, on streets, in parks. Uh, it's a, a time of training and preparation. Um, you can go for one week, you can go for two weeks. And uh, I want to show you a little video about what this Shalom New York is all about. So go ahead and do that. Outside of the land of Israel, New York City has the largest Jewish community in the world. It is home to nearly 2 million Jewish people, with 800,000 living in Brooklyn alone, most of whom have not heard the Gospel of Messiah. This summer, help us bring Shalom to New York City. It's a, it's a time of training, a time of uh, fellowship and, and worship, that, but mostly it's a time of ministry. And basically, our, our goal and our desire is to, is to let it be known that, that Yeshua is Israel's Messiah, and that He came for the Jewish people, that He loves the Jewish people, and that He wants to have a relationship with the Jewish people. He's their Messiah. I've seen the Lord work in different ways. I think He's worked through short conversations, just giving out tracts, or just kind of connecting with people. We have a young lady, and this is her first experience of mission, and she has just been so used of God. And I listened to her talk to an elderly lady on the phone, and the lady's comments were, you have such a peaceful voice. And she answered, that's because Jesus is in my heart. And by the time she'd finished the phone call, she'd prayed with that lady, and that lady had come to know that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the one who gives peace in our hearts. When, when you show somebody love and they haven't seen that in such a long time and then they see the love of Yeshua and then you ask if you can pray for them. These are things that don't normally happen here in New York and it just, you know, you could just see the tears well up in their eyes that somebody cared enough about them to reach out to them and to teach them about Yeshua's love and to take the time to pray with them. It, I think those things make a big difference to people. I love evangelism. I believe that's my calling and my gift. So being out here on the street, engaging people where they are, and challenging them to think about Jesus and the place that he has or doesn't have in their life. So, Maybe the thought is terrifying to you, but I guarantee you it'll change your life. You know, as I shared with Howard all those many years ago, uh, one of the things God has called us to do is to confess Messiah to others. And there's no greater joy than seeing uh, the words of life, which is God's word and God's Messiah, who is life, come into the hearts and the minds of those who've never heard about him. So if you have any inkling about uh, wanting to be trained to do that, uh, just for a week, it, 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 will, it will transform your life. And if you can share the gospel in New York, you can share it anywhere. You know, they, you know, we have a saying, Jews are like anyone else, only more so. 
And, and that's true of New York Jews, uh, even more so than, than Columbus Jews. Uh, it's very intense, so, but it's fun. And we have a great time. And hine matov manayim, shevarachim Behold how good and wonderful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. So I have some brochures on the back, and, uh, and there's a website also at Chosen People, and I encourage you to pray about joining us. Well, this, this morning I want to share with you from the book of Hebrews. Uh, we read from, uh, ah, thank you, we read from, from uh, uh, Ezekiel and talked about the the future temple. I believe that is speaking of the temple in the millennium. And, uh, and so as believers, some of us may really be very solid on, on the ministry of the temple and, 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 uh, and what it means. And so I want to share, uh, for those of you who may not be that familiar, a little bit about the, the ministry of the temple and what it speaks to us as believers. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. That's where we're going to be focused in. Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, before I speak, would you join me in prayer? Ovino Malkeno, our Father and our King, we thank you and praise you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, able to make us wise, Father. And in fact, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. So as we look into your word this morning, as we already have, may you continue to strengthen our faith through the study of your word. And I pray for those who may not be familiar with the ministry of the temple, what it means to us today that uh, our study this morning would bless and strengthen their faith and their knowledge about you and your word. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers. That's why it's called Hebrews. Uh, the temple at the time was still standing, and there was a temptation for the Messianic community, for the Jewish believers in Yeshua in the first century, to believe that one could believe in Yeshua and still offer sacrifices in the temple. I mean, after all, the temple was still standing. The scripture said, this is what you're to do. And so, uh, in doing so, they could avoid some of the ostracism of their fellow Jews in believing that Yeshua was the only way for atonement and forgiveness, for cleansing and for reconciliation. I can secretly believe that Yeshua is my, my Messiah, and, and still, you know, have fellowship with, with Messianic believers, but also not be ostracized by my fellow Jews. The writer of Hebrews needed to convey the importance of the work of what God was doing in Messiah. And so as we consider Hebrews chapter 9, there are a number of responses you and I could have as we read this chapter. We could say that the ministry of the temple has no relevance in my life at all, so I can ignore it and deal with the things that affect my life now. Now, in a Messianic congregation, that's probably not likely. But nonetheless, there may be some of you here who are, maybe this is the first time you're in a Messianic congregation. And so some Christians say, well, this is not for me, or it was back then, and, and then maybe there's some truths that I can plot in my life. The second thing we could say is the truths that really matter in life are not historical truths, but timeless truths. I'm going to look for the timeless truths that are in the days of of the sacrifices and the priesthood. Maybe I can apply to my life something in those practices that'll help me connect with the eternal through the sacrificial systems. And some people do say that. Or you can come to the conviction that I have, that God governs history and has progressively been revealing himself to the world by the way he guides history from one period to the next. That each successive historical period helps us to understand and interpret the next piece of historical 
society and, and what God is doing and, and shedding light on what he's doing in the current day that we live in. For example, like the unfolding of the doctrines of new covenant faith, like the, the yachad of God. I mean, the idea of the Trinity was, was just, you know, something that was revealed over time. And, and the changes that, that, that especially that came in new covenant faith in the Reformation. I mean, we look as, as Messianic Jews and say, oh, did anything good come out of that? Well, yes, some amazing things came out of it. And, and led really to the, to the time where we could be Messianic Jews. All of that was the unfolding pattern of history. But, but that it's not all that God is doing. History is looking back, back at what God has done through men. And, and the fact of the matter is God oversees it all. He's sovereign in all these things. And as Messianic believers, we believe that what went on in the older covenant were pictures of eternal truths. And as God's children, we need to understand them as a part of what God is doing in our lives today. It becomes part of our life. And actually, we are making history in our walk with the Lord. And as Howard has shared in, in my life, as we look back, we see what God has done in, in, in bringing us along. Uh, in his sovereign way, in the various things we've experienced. But my goal today is to help us understand a little bit more about the sacrificial system and how it relates to our lives today. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9, verses 1 through 7, it sets up what the writer of Hebrews wants us to see with regard to the sacrificial system. They describe the older period of history and the way the people of God worshiped in it, the way our fathers worshiped in it. So in verse 1, we read this. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. So here is the priesthood. Um, we have um, the, uh, the priesthood. We have uh, the tabernacle. We have the holy of holies. We have the temple that stood at the time of Yeshua. Here is the holy place. And I'm going to go through this as we, we go through it. All right, so I want to go back. Uh, That's just an overview right there. All right, so uh, the, the um, uh, verses, um, in verse, uh, verses 1 through th 3, we read, uh, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Um, we, uh, we have the, uh, the priesthood. We have the, the tabernacle itself. You'll notice that there is the holy place and the holy of holies. Uh, you have the outer court, that's where the priest is there uh, facing outward. And, and all of those were the elements of approaching God at, at the time of, um, before Messiah came. Uh, you have in, in the holy place, you have the, uh, the veil, which is this right here. That's the veil that separated the holy place. And just before the veil was this altar of incense, which represented the prayers of God's people. And, and then you have the veil, and then behind the veil you have the Ark of the Covenant, and you see the Shekhinah, the glory of the Lord. And all of this was pointing, and actually what, what Scripture says is this was a, 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 um, a, a, a design that God had given to Moses of what, or type, of what was actually going on in heaven. 
And so we have here a close-up of the holy place in the tabernacle. And we read in Hebrews that a tent was prepared in the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. That's this. This is the holy place. Right here is the holy... Sorry. Uh, Where the... the, The menorah is, to the right is the table of showbread and the altar of incense. That's the holy place. And then behind that is the the holy of holies. With an altar, we're reading now, I'm reading in verses 3 through 6 of Hebrews chapter 9. Behind that was the holy of holies with an altar and a chest with sacred relics and carved cherubim above the altar. And behind the second curtain was the second section called the Kadosh Kadoshim, the most holy place. That's, that's what we see right, right here. Here's the curtain, and this is the Holy of Holies in here. And um, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the golden altar of incense actually was, the, it, it was on the outside in the holy place, but, but the incense would go before the priest. It, it represented, really, the prayers of God's people as on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the very presence of God. That's the only time that the Kohen, Kohen, uh, the Kohen Gadol would enter into the Holy of Holies, but, but he would make sure there was plenty of incense to kind of cover him as he prepared with much fear and trembling to enter into the Holy of Holies because that was the presence of God. That's where the Ruach, the Spirit of God, was present. It wasn't like now where the Spirit of God is in us. That was the place where the Spirit of God was. And so he entered into the Holy of Holies, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was the golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, all of that was in the chest here, which is the Ark of the Covenant, which is in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. somewhere, right? Um, and, um, and Aaron's staff was in that Ark with, that, uh, that budded, and the tablets of the Covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. In other words, every day the priests would, would go in here into the first section, and, and uh, they would change the oil in the lamp. They would Once a week they would change the, t- the bread of the, of the presence, and they would regularly offer altar, uh, incense on the altar. We read about Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, who was in there and, and when the Lord appeared to him. And that was done daily. But once a year, the Kohen Gadol would go into the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur. Well, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 9 describes the high priest entering the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. And of course, that's what we see here. Um, Entering in, well, he would enter into there, the Holy of Holies. In this period of our history, um, uh, the way to God was limited. His presence was sealed behind the veil. The Lord could only be approached on Yom Kippur. And only the high priest could enter. And he had to go first with blood for his own sins and for then the sins of the people. In verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews chapter 9, the writer tells us the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. In verse 9, which is a symbol for the present time. The outer tabernacle 
is symbolic of this present time. In other words, the ministry of the tabernacle and the temple is something that relates to today, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Notice he's not saying that these offerings are irrelevant. He's not saying that history is unimportant and that all that matters is finding the the eternal truths in their symbolism. He says the tent, the furnishings, and the priestly rituals relate to this present time. The tent is a symbol for the present time. Now, what present time is the writer of Hebrews talking about? And what does it have to do with our present time right now? As we read on in verse 9, the second half of verse 9, he explains what he means and how times were changing in his day. Now, remember, he's writing this to Jewish believers in Yeshua. That's why it's called Hebrews. Accordingly, the second half of verse 9, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. I mean, that's what we read today. Imposed for a time of reformation. I mean, the body in terms of uh, uh, holiness and, and cleanliness and so on. And, and part of that was the ministry of the temple and the priesthood. And so here in what we've just read is a reference to time and a movement of God in history. In verse 9, he says that the outer tent, the holy place with its furnishings and ministries, separating the people from the holy of holies and the presence of God was symbolic for this present time. And then he says in verses 9 and 10 that these rituals of food and drink and washings are valid only until the time of reformation. I'm not talking about the Protestant Reformation, but the time of reformation. Strong's Concordance defines the Greek word here as meaning to straighten thoroughly, rectification. Specifically, he's talking about messianic restoration, the restoration tikkun olam, the beginning of tikkun olam. So the question is, when does this transition take place in history? When does this present time in verse 9 transition into the Reformation or the new order of verse 10? The whole point of the book of Hebrews is to say that the coming of Messiah, the Son of God, into the world is the ending of this present time of the old way of coming to God and the beginning of the Reformation where Messiah Yeshua himself replaces the high priest. He replaces the temple. He replaces the blood of animals and the, and the food and the drink offerings that were part of that. That's the whole point of the writing of the book of Hebrews. God has done something new. God has brought a brit hadashah, a new covenant, not like the whole covenant. That's what the whole point of Hebrews is all about. The way to think about the old is not to say that it's irrelevant, or that it's just the shadow of eternal truths, but rather that the older covenant under God's design points to a new time that God in history is about to transform the world in which we live in through his Messiah. That the older covenant has much light to shed on the meaning of the new covenant that we live in. It is the foundation of what we understand as believers. Why did he call the Old Covenant this present time if he lived after the death of the resurrection of Messiah, the death and resurrection of Messiah? Why did he say it was the Old Covenant? Well, the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, which, which really introduces the whole section that we're reading in Hebrews chapter 9. 
Here's what it says in verse 13. When he said, referring to God's voice in Jeremiah 31, a new covenant he made, he made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. The writer himself in the time is writing in the time of transition to the new. And that's exactly what was going on. The old system of relating to God through the sacrifices, the koanim and the, and the temple, is becoming obsolete and is ready to disappear. And the new order, the reformation that has been inaugurated by Messiah, is going and is in the process of replacing the old. You know, the temple is still standing. And so there again, there is this temptation to think that since the temple is standing and since this is God's appointed way, we should go there. But, but the writer is saying, no, the Messianic Jewish Reformation, I believe, is, is something that is going on in this era that we are living in. I believe that the church had not replaced uh, the Jewish people and embraced supersessionist theology, we would have never needed a Protestant Reformation. They would have understand what God was doing in this present time. But in the sovereignty of God, God used it. You know, we Jews, we, we, we hardened our heart to the Gentiles. In fact, it, it took quite a, a lot for Peter to, uh, to go to the Gentiles. I mean, it, it took him a, you know, a clop in the tuchus or in the head to, to go to the Gentiles. He really wasn't so crazy about that idea and still had trouble with it later on. And, you know, I think it's so ironic that God took a fisherman who was an outcast from Galilee to go to the Jews and took a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Talmudic scholar, a rabbi of rabbis, uh, you know, smarter than, us, than all the rabbis of, of Israel to go to the Gentiles. Why? Why did the, would God do that? Well, Gentiles needed a good Jewish lawyer. And, 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 and we Jews tend to be proud, and so God took a humble person to bring this new covenant to us, Peter. But, but if, if, if the church and, and we as believers really understand what God was doing, God is, is doing a new thing, and he's using broken people to transform them to be ministers in this world. God's calling us all to be ministers. When Christianity understands its Jewish, Christianity understands its Jewish foundation, the new covenant, atoning death of Yeshua, becomes so much clearer. And as Jewish believers, as part of a messianic congregation, we need to understand these things so that we can share them with other believers. The Jewish writer in Hebrews is saying that very soon the temple and, the, and, the, and, and even the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The sacrificial system would be finished as it is to this day. God did away with the priesthood, the sacrifices, and a national theocracy. The Lord Yeshua is our king. He is our priest, and he is our sacrifice. We live in the time of the Reformation. We have a prophet, a priest, and king who is showing us the way and has restored us. Now, let me explain why this understanding is so important and relevant to us as believers today. In a time when we have computers and the internet and a myriad of other things that are light years away from then, there are truths that never change. It's relevant because in this day of modern life and scientific progress, with its psychological therapies and medical discoveries, we're still unable to solve mankind's most significant health issues. God's work in this time of Reformation is about how people with guilty consciences can draw near to the living God who wants 
to cleanse us and to heal us. Doctors for decades know that our physical health is directly related to our emotional health. I, I have an uncle. He's, 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 he's gone now. Uh, he never came to faith. He was Richard Nixon's psychiatrist. Emmis, true. Arnold Hutchnecker, my uncle. And he wrote a book called The Will to Live, which was revolutionary at the time. Uh, a psychiatrist, and, and that's why Richard Nixon came to him, because, you know, he was Meshuggah in many ways. And, uh, and, you know, in a sense, we're all a little Meshuggah. You know, we all are, are a little crazy. But, but the fact of the matter, God wants us to have peace. And he wants us to have joy. And, and when we have a right relationship with God, our, every aspect of our life is, is healed. Uh, it's relevant because, uh, you know, with that peace, it transforms our life. God's work in this time of Reformation is about how people with guilty consciences can draw near to the living God who wants to cleanse and heal them. Doctors for decades have known that, that our emotional health is related to our physical health. There are many who spend hours addicted to work, some to pornography or video games or a myriad of other things. The issue at the end of it all is not the wonders of technology or science or psychiatry and the medicines they prescribe. The issue is, how can I come to know the God who is the creator of heaven and earth, the God who is the prince of peace when I'm overwhelmed by all these things that come my way every day. How can I relate to my spouse and my children and all the other people who regularly interact with me with transparency and love when my conscience feels so defiled? And if it's not pornography, pick your sin. Soap operas, romance novels, or, or sports, or uh, solitaire, whatever it may be. The fact is, is that the basic problems of life never change. The circumstances change, over history, the circumstances change, but, but the basic problems that you and I experience, that mankind experiences, never change. We're all human, and we all have consciences that convict us of our sinfulness, and as a result, we have guilt. That's why the temple stood, because when you recognize you were out of fellowship with God, God had a provision for you, and it was the sacrificial system. And we all deal with guilt, not just Jewish guilt or Catholic guilt, or some other religious type of guilt or secular guilt. It's our sin that keeps us from the freedom and the relationship that God wants us to have. That's why in this new time period, the time in which we live in is relevant because God has done something in history that has solved the deepest problem that every person, you and I, even to this very day, have in our modern world. And the older covenant pointed to the solution but didn't solve the problem. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 that the law is holy, that the law is righteous, that the law is good, but that the law is weak. And what the law could not do, God did in sending his son, Yeshua, the Messiah. Look at the difference between the old present time and the time of Reformation in verses 11 through 14. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 11. But when Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, which have now come through his death and resurrection and the pouring out of God's Spirit in the New Covenant, that's when the Messiah came, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all. Remember, the, the Holy of Holies was a reflection or a pattern of what was in heaven. 
having obtained redemption eternally by a perfect sacrifice. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer and the sprinkling of those who've been defiled sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, that is the outward, how much more will the blood of Messiah through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In the old period, the Kohen Gadol went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, taking the blood of animals. Why? To renew the covenant with the nation of Israel. And because the blood stood for the death of an animal, and the death was in the place of the nation and, and of the individual, and it was sufficient for cleansing from ceremonial uncleanness, cleanliness, it covered the sin, but it didn't remove it. What about the guilty conscience of the people and the priest? Animal blood could not cleanse it. It could cover it, yes. It gave you momentary uh, uh, covering, but it didn't remove it. They knew it. That's why what was found in Isaiah 53 and, and Psalm 51. We know that, that, that something like religious works won't remove our sin. So in the time of Reformation, a new high priest had to come. Yeshua, the Son of God with a better sacrifice. And that sacrifice, as we all know, is himself, Yeshua. Verse 14 says that the whole echad of God, the triunity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh were involved through the eternal Holy Spirit. Verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit, he offered himself, the Son, without blemish to God. The result is that all the sins of his people both Old and New Covenants were covered by the blood of Yeshua. And so the animal sacrifices foreshadowed the final sacrifice of the death of the Messiah. So now in the modern day, our problem is essentially the same as always. Our consciences, yes, condemn us and make us feel unacceptable to God. Even today, as I was worshiping, there were things in my heart that, that said, I'm, there's things not right. We're alienated from God. We don't feel good enough to come to him. And the fact is, we're, we're not good enough to come to him. We can cut ourselves, or we can offer our children and sacrifice, as they did in ancient times, or, or we can give a million dollars to a worthy charity, or, or serve in a soup kitchen, doing other mitzvot, or a hundred other forms of penance and, and, and self-flagellation that we can do to ourselves. And the result will be the same. Stain remains, and it terrifies us. We know our conscience is defiled. Not with external things like, like touching a corpse or, or eating pork or shellfish, but because Yeshua said it's not what comes into a man that defiles him, but rather that what comes out. And we all come out with things that are unclean. We're defiled at times by our attitudes like pride and, and self-pity and bitterness, lust, jealousy, covetousness, apathy, and fear, all of those things you and I experience. But verse 14 says these things are dead works. They have no spiritual life in them. They don't come from the new life. They come from the old. They come from death and lead to death. And that's why they make especially unbelievers hopeless and helpless in their inner man. The only answer today, as it is throughout the time of this Reformation is the blood of Yeshua. When our conscience rises up and condemns us, where can we turn? Hebrews 9.14 gives us the answer. We need to turn to Yeshua, to His blood that was shed for us. 
I mean, that's what Passover points to, is the blood of the Lamb. We need to turn to the only cleansing agent that the universe has, can demonstrate through the, through that God has given to us to give us relief in our life, to give us the peace that God wants us to have. As it says, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so I urge all of us this morning, when we are feeling convicted and condemned, or if you have never come to Yeshua, today if you've heard his voice, God has a solution for your, for your sin, that, that which separates you from God, and that is Yeshua, the one who came from the Father to be the perfect sacrifice and atonement for our sins. And as believers, there are times where we, we're out of fellowship with God. We need to return to Him and press into Him. God calls us to renew our mind and heart, and He will cleanse us through the blood of Messiah. As we, our minds are transformed by the daily reading of God's Word, He renews us and strengthens us. And, and you will become transformed and and become a blessing to others. If you've come to him, then trust him in his word that says, I love you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. He will never do that. And he has given us all that we need for life and godliness. Just come to him if you're out of fellowship with him, and if you've never come to him, come to him now. Simply says, trust in me. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. Yeshua as we come into this time of Passover, he is the Passover lamb. He has given his blood for us that the angel of death would pass over us and that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. That's the good news. And we need to share that good news with our loved ones. And, and as we abide in him, he will transform us into the image of his, of his son. And with that, let's pray. Ovino Malkeno, our father and our king, we thank you and praise you for for the atonement you have given us in Messiah, for the removal of the temple because Messiah came, and you've begun a new covenant. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful truth that you're coming soon to bring us to be with you. Lord, whether we die in you or whether we're alive. And then, Lord God, you're going to establish your temple again, as we read in the prophet Ezekiel, for the millennium. Lord, we thank you for these wonderful truths that we hold in your word. But I pray, Father, if there are any among us who are not at peace with you, that they would come to the Prince of Peace, might know his peace by coming to Messiah and to his word, and they might understand the truths that, that transform in this new covenant that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for these brothers and sisters. May they continue to grow in their knowledge of you. And Lord, if there are any among us who have not come to know you, may today, if they've heard your voice, may today be the day of their salvation. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.